0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: ...Christian organization. And he told a story about how once, as he and his family returned from a, a lengthy and particularly successful speaking tour... They came back to their North Carolina home and found things not quite as they had left them. The large tree that had been in their yard was now in their house. Hurricane damage, and pretty extensive hurricane damage. And as they looked around the neighborhood, they realized that their house was the only house that had any hurricane damage. And he found himself beginning to think and talk. Inside and beginning to communicate with the Lord. Lord, what's the deal? I mean, have not we been traveling around the country and, and I think doing what you want us to do, serving you, and you seem to bless all those things? It seemed that this was particularly a profitable trip for your kingdom, and then we come home to this, it seems kind of odd. Everybody in the neighborhood knows who I am, they know what I do. God, what do you think this says about you to them? You send your servants out to do your work and then you curse them when they come home. Doesn't that send the wrong message, Lord? And then it occurred to him, it's as if the Lord spoke to him and said, yes, I I am communicating something to this neighborhood. But I'm not today here in your life telling them and showing them how I bless my people with ease. Instead, I'm going to communicate to them. I'm going to show them how a changed heart that's fastened to another world in Christ, how a changed heart lives for different priorities and deals with hardships like yours differently than they do. I am going to be communicating something to them. It's not quite what you thought. I'm going to use you to speak to those around you. He still does that. He regularly does that. It's his intention to do that, to take his people, to take us, and to in our lives and through us speak to those all around us. He takes us and he displays in us who are, after all, nothing more than cracked clay pots. He displays in us and then through us like light shining out through cracks he displays the light who is life, who has come to the world that people might have life. We're going to see some of that in our text this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. Last week we took a detour, as Don already said, to Jonah chapter 4. And I preached from that text in hopes of preparing your hearts for this prayer initiative that we've just begun. It's the Elder Board's hope and it's my hope and my prayer that we would be moved to have concern for the people who are all around us. We would see them and we would be moved for them as God has moved for them. And that we would be used to reach out to them, to spread the glorious news of the gospel of grace to those who, whose lives we are in. That's why we were in Jonah last week. May God move in us in that way. Now we're coming back to Ephesians 5, picking up where we left off two weeks ago. And providentially, there is something in this text that also speaks to the spreading of this news of glorious, saving, and sanctifying grace. Spreading happens through our words, through spoken news, delivered in language, yes. But what this text this morning is going to to highlight a little bit and, and push on to us a little bit is that spreading also happens not just through words but through actions through proven good news not just declared good news but proven good news displayed in changed lives like light shining amidst darkness these verses this morning in Ephesians 5, 7-14 contain yet another statement about how we are to walk We began looking at this theme of worthy walking back at the beginning of chapter 4. We saw there that we've been saved by one Lord into one faith that contains one baptism. And so we are to display this oneness. Display it by walking in unity. The first explicit call to worthy walking, to suitable walking. And then in 4.17 and following, we saw that... There's something that's happened inside of us. We have already been renewed inside and we are continually being renewed inside. Which is a good thing because the inside is the key to worthy walking. What's inside eventually always comes out. And so at the end of chapter 4, Paul reminds us, God in Christ forgave you in hopes of renewing us yet again inside. God in Christ forgave you, so walk in holiness. And then, in chapter 5, verse 2, Christ loved you, Christian, and gave himself for you, therefore walk in love. Don't walk like verses 3 and 4. Don't walk in self centered lust. And don't let anybody convince you that that kind of walking is actually kind of harmless or even helpful or profitable. Verses 5 and 6, uh uh-uh, uh, no. There is much at stake because of that kind of living that characterizes the sons of disobedience the wrath of god is coming don't walk there with them which brings us to our text this morning verses 7 to 14 revolve around another statement about worthy walking to summarize here's what this this morning's about in christ you are light walk like it in christ you are light yet another statement about your being, who you are, what has happened in you. In Christ you are light. If you stand in Christ, then you yourself are light. You're not just in light. You yourself are light, so walk like it. That's what this passage is going to revolve around this morning. And what it's going to do is it's going to highlight for us two motivations that should spur you on to walk in light. One that centers around what has already happened in you, and the second one, which is a little more complicated, centers around what may happen in others. You should walk in light because of what's happened in you, and you should walk in light because of what might happen in others. That's where we're going to go this morning. Look at those two motivations. But first, let me read the passage. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. which is printed in your bulletin. It's Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 7. Therefore... Do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when everything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The first motivation for walking as children of light is found in verses 7 to 10. This is the one that's about you. Walk as light because it's suitable for you. It's pretty straightforward. Walk as light because it's suitable for you. Walk as children of light. Not in light, but as light. There's a difference there. Let's see where this comes from. Verse 7 introduces this passage this morning. and It's a bridge from last week. From last passage to this one, some of your translations may actually include it with verses 1 to 6 in the previous paragraph. It's bridging, bridging the two passages. It's closely linked. It's telling us, it's using the similar pattern here of the putting off and putting on. It's telling us what we should avoid, and then we're going to move into what we should do, what we should take on ourselves. Well, verse 7 says, because of what we saw in verse 6, because that lifestyle characterizes the sons of disobedience and invites the wrath of God, don't go there. Have nothing to do with them. Don't associate with them. It's a command. It's a command. It's not a suggestion again. He tells us, do not associate with them. Don't be partakers with them or partners with them, some translations will say. We need to pause here on this for just a second because sometimes... We can misunderstand this this statement. We can take, don't associate with them, the command, and and from it build some sort of a a Christian isolationism. Don't have anything to do with non-Christians at all whatsoever. Is that what Paul's saying here? Well, the other translations that say partakers or, or partners help us out there. But the context, we'll get to that more in the second motivation, the context... But the word here also makes clear it's not what he's talking about. It's the same word that's used back in chapter 3, verse 6, where we are talked about being partakers of the promise in Christ. What he's saying is that you're a partaker of one thing or the other. And if you're a Christian, you're a partaker of the promise with Christ and with the saints. You can't be a partaker over here. You can't be a partaker with the sons of disobedience. You can't be partnered to them. You can't make associates with them. You can't cast your lot with them. You can't own their lifestyle as yours. Those rephrasings get at what he's talking about here. There's a partnering, an associating. This isn't like partnering in doubles tennis or something. This is a taking on a lifestyle, walking their walk with them. You can, and really you must play golf with non-Christians. You must have them over to dinner. He's not talking about that here. He's saying what you can't do is meld your life into theirs, of walk with them as they walk in their life. You can't. You're a partaker of something else. Don't do that. Yes, you can and you must associate with people, Christians and non-Christians alike. But don't associate in the sense of partnering with, casting your lot in with them. Instead, the flip side of this, verse 8, the end of verse 8, instead of associating or partnering there, instead, walk as children of light. This too is a command. It's the other side of this, don't do this, but do do this. Don't walk with the sons of disobedience, walk as children of light. They're parallel. right in between them is the reason why beginning of verse 8 therefore because at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the Lord Paul just never leaves these things far behind does he this is another statement about our being he's still standing right beside that picture window. do you remember that image the picture window I talked about some weeks back, it's as if Paul for the first three chapters stands at a great picture window and gazes out at a majestic vista of all that God has done for us. And he constantly beckons us over to the windowsill, inviting us to look out and see it. He does that for chapter after chapter, for the first three chapters. And then at chapter 4, it's as if he turns... Doesn't leave the window, but he turns and begins to speak directly to us with commands, like, don't associate with them. Walk as children of light. He's right here by the window, and these commands right here, just like all the other ones, he repeatedly says, because, because of this, you were once darkness, but now you're children of light. Walk like that. He constantly ties them together. You must see this. This is not my own personal little hobby horse that I ride every sermon. This is Paul's God-inspired method of sanctification. It is how Paul, it is how the Bible, it is how God intends for us to grow in holiness. Not just commanding us what to do, but repeatedly, dogmatically tying it to what's just outside the window. Always. It comes up every week, doesn't it? This would be even more pronounced if we were reading this letter as it was intended, straight through in one sitting, because it would come up every minute. It would come up just like this all the time. We put at least six or seven days between it. It it would be just every minute, every two minutes. You keep bringing this up to you. It's how this works. We must get this. This is how we grow. Remember. You were darkness. Now you're light. You were darkness. Satan's forces of evil, they are described as darkness. They create a realm of darkness in which spiritually those who are lost are wandering. These are all statements in the Bible. This This is the Bible's perspective. But this verse says, You were darkness. Not you were in darkness. It's not that you were neutral, trapped in a dark room, and if you could just somehow get out of that room, then you'd be okay. You didn't need to get out of the realm of darkness. You needed to get out of yourself. You were darkness. Darkness can no more make itself light than the dead can make themselves alive. The sovereign God had to do something on you to change you, not just change your environment. Praise God, He did. He did that. You are now light. He has poured sovereign grace on you and has changed your very being. Remember this. This is who you have become. You have become light now. So walk as that. Right here in verse 8, He's not only talking about realms, He's talking about your being. You are light now. This might be a little weird, but picture this. Try to imagine yourself as as a, a lump of linen cloth. It's various assorted strips and scraps thrown in the closet somewhere. What this verse is saying is that Jesus has come along and he's gathered you up. He's gathered up this cloth and he's wrapped it just so around a big stick and then he's dipped it in some oil, and then he's touched some fire to it and set it ablaze. And now you are a torch. You yourself are light. Don't try to become darkness again. Walk throughout the world. He's turned you into a torch, and he's going to carry you throughout your neighborhood, throughout your workplace. A light, you. What would that look like? Verse 9. What that would look like, you'd walk around in all sorts of goodness and righteousness and truth. It's the fruit of the result of this type of walking. When you burn, this is what you would look like. People would look at you and would see goodness. A word that's in the scriptures repeatedly used to describe the Lord, the goodness of the Lord. And often in those contexts, it has a particular bent towards generosity. It's often God giving things physical or spiritual. It's blessing its people with the goodness of the Lord. People would look at you as you burn amidst them. They would look at you as a blesser. Somebody who gives them what they need. Not necessarily what they want, but you would be characterized as someone who blesses people in an an assortment of ways. That's what they would see when they looked at you. You'd walk around clinging to righteousness and truth, just like that new self back in chapter 4, verse 24. You would be clearly known as someone who has put away falsehood and speaks the truth in love to his neighbor, to his co-worker, to his friend. That would be your reputation. People would trust you. They would know you as trustworthy, truthful, righteous. When when you got angry, you'd get rarely angry, but when you got angry, you would quickly confess that and repent of it to them because you care more about the Lord's righteousness than your own way. You'd be working at casting off that idolatry that underlies anger. That's who you would be. And through it all, you would have one singular focus. You'd be asking yourself, you'd be praying repeatedly, what does the Lord want of me right now? What pleases Him? You'd be growing in loving what He loves, of thinking what He thinks, of seeing what and as He sees. That would be the the guiding principle in you. What does the Lord want? What pleases Him here? That's who you'd be, walking as light. So, son, daughter, child of light, is it you? I encourage you to think in particulars here. Think about particular people. How do particular people know you? It it doesn't do as much good just thinking generalities. I think I'm doing okay in the truth thing. Think about particular relationships. How do those people know you? Do they know you as someone who is bent on righteousness? That is bent on being a blesser to them? That is bent on being a truth teller? That lives to please someone else? That lives connected to somewhere else? I once heard a story about a a missionary in Japan. And I'm sure this man was a missionary that he wasn't walking around in rampant sin. But he was caused to reevaluate how he was walking around after a particular conversation with a Japanese man, a non-believer. I'll sum up the whole story and kind of give a paraphrase quote here. This man said to the missionary, you know, after some time here, I don't believe your message. Because as I watch you, I don't think you're in touch with another world. Ouch. Reminded me of a particular conversation that I had with a Muslim friend of mine. This 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 student had been around our campus ministry for months and months and months. He'd made friends with many of us, myself included. He'd heard the gospel forward and back and upside, inside out, upside down, all different ways. He'd seen many, many things about it, about us, about our faith, many conversations. And one night on a balcony, one of those nighttime heart-to-heart conversations, I had one of those conversations with him on a balcony in Florida, overlooking the ocean. It was a wonderful setting. And I asked him, So what do you think? What are your thoughts as you're looking at Christianity? You're looking at Jesus, this faith, and certainly you're comparing it to Islam, your heritage, your background. And And he said to me, You know, Steve, I I know a lot about this, and I know a lot of Christians well, but I just think that if it was true, you guys would be a lot more serious about it. I I don't know what to say to that. I couldn't say, oh, you don't know us well enough. I couldn't say, we're serious about it when you're not around, because he was always around. And what kind of testimony would that be anyway? (laughs) that you do you believe it but you're not really very serious about it such that when you walk amongst people you're not a blazing torch but more a smoldering one maybe like a 20 watt bulb To mix metaphors it's light barely do you walk do you live in touch with somewhere else with another world we're supposed to be among people we're supposed to wear 21st century garments, but be clothed with another world. We're supposed to eat a 21st century diet, but be fed from somewhere else. We're supposed to sleep on 21st century beds in 21st century homes, but rest in another home somewhere else. And if that's true of you, it should be obvious. People should look at you and say, I don't really know everything, but he's in touch with something else. He walks around here committed to something else. Something else has gripped him or her. Do particular people in your life think of you like that? Are you walking as a child of light? If you're not, or if you're not as much as you should be, Where do you start? It's a command here. The the same place you start with any command that you're not following is to recognize this is sin. This is sin in me. I need to repent. You cry out to the Lord, God help. I search, I listen, I want what you want. I want to be who you want me to be. I want to walk like you want me to walk. And I look at this and I see I'm not supposed to walk like darkness at all. I'm supposed to walk ablaze. And I I don't. Help. Lord, I'm sorry. I want to be different. I want to be more of what you want of me. You come come to Him with that attitude. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not yet a Christian. And you realize this this is the bar the Lord sets and I'm not there. You come to Him either way with that kind of attitude. A humble attitude that says, have me, Lord, and change me. He'll respond. He wants that kind of attitude in people. He will respond. He will change you. Come repentant to him. And then, come to the ordinary means. Follow verse 8's example. Remember what's happened to you. Look back out the window. Look into the scriptures and see all these truths. Do it with other Christians and pray, pray, pray that God would open the eyes of your heart. They're called ordinary means because there's nothing flashy about them at all. This is what God uses. You cannot grow apart from those means. Cannot. Won't happen. Come repentant to him and then come to the means and say, Lord, open my eyes as I open the Scriptures. Show me what's in there. Show me who is in there. They're not first about the commands. They're first about the God who has done marvelous things. That's what you need to see. You already know what you're supposed to do. You need to see Him. So come and ask, Lord, show me. Open my eyes. Help me to see. This is the change that must happen in you. But it is a supernatural work. You can't do it yourself. So you cry out to him in hope and you say, Help! And he will answer. You were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light. It's the first motivation. You should do it because it's suitable for you. Because it honors the Lord. And he wants to use you as you walk around in other people's lives, and that's the second motivation. This one's a little more complicated. It begins in verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Similar to what we've already seen. That lifestyle, those works are to be avoided, and more than that, they are to be exposed. It's the same pattern of not this, but this. Don't do that, do do this. Here's what this boils down to, the second motivation. Walk as light because it is redemptive. Walk as light because it is redemptive, not just in the sense that it preserves the world and keeps people acting better. It's redemptive in a salvific way. It is redemptive towards salvation. It may be that in people's lives. If you want to help those friends and family members that we just wrote on these pieces of paper, if you want to help them, this should be motivation right here. They need you to walk as light right next to them. They need that. Verse 11 and 12, pretty straightforward. Have absolutely nothing to do with the unfruitful, barren, dead, shameful works of darkness. That's what those verses are saying. Same thing as before, it's a little more focused here. Gets in on, on mentions the works in particular, the unfruitful deeds. That's what we're to avoid, that's pretty clear. But we are more to, to do more than just negatively avoid them, we are to positively expose them. See that at the end of verse eleven there? That's a command also. And here is where our beco- our walking becomes redemptive. The walking as light becomes redemptive here as we begin to expose the deeds of darkness. We don't just expose them. Here's how, I'm, here's how I'm thinking about this. There's some things that need to be filled in in these verses. Paul's not explicit on all of this. We don't just expose them for the sake of exposing them. Like you tear back the covers on your bed and just leave it like that. You know, there's the person that was under the covers and then you walk out. We don't just expose them so as to shame people. To humiliate them or guilt them into something. There's got to be an end other than that in mind here. We've got to expose them for some other reason. That's what's in 13 and 14. We actually expose darkness for the end goal of helping people. It shows darkness to be what it is. It shows the hopelessness the lostness of darkness, and at the same time, right next to it, it shows an attractive alternative. And through this attractive alternative, shines out the one who makes it. The one who has made us light. The light doesn't come from us. Someone else lit the torch. If you want to use the cracked pot picture, there's a light inside of that lantern. So we show darkness to be what it is. We show an attractive alternative and the one who has made that attractive alternative. That's how it's evangelistic in a sense. That's why we expose. That's what 13 and 14 are getting at. Now, I have to be honest here. These are very difficult verses to understand. Commentators are divided on what to make of them. And if if you were to read three or four English translations, you'd see they're all a little bit different. The NAS, the New American Standard Version, and the English Standard Version in your bulletin are better. They're more accurate translations. So if you're looking at the NIV, I would encourage you to at least read the bulletin for these couple of verses. What Paul is getting at here, what he's doing here, I'm persuaded, is that he is describing in an abbreviated, compacted manner the process of salvation, and he's using light terms exposing and illumining, making visible light. He's using that terminology to describe evangelism. It's as if I were to say something crushed down, compacted like this. If I were to say something like, you share the gospel with someone, they they believe, they become a Christian. If I say something like that, you share with somebody, he gets saved, now he's a Christian. I've skipped over a bunch of things in there. There are... There are other things one could include in that really abbreviated process, and I've made it seem a bit mechanical. You do A, and then B, and then C. Always works like that, and it's easy. It's not quite fair to describe it like that, but if I wanted to give just a shorthand version, that would be roughly accurate. I think that's what he's doing here. Follow along, and I'm going to to try to paraphrase this a little bit. I'm going to go slowly so that you can try to see this. Beginning in verse 13, it's as if he said, When sin is exposed and confronted with the contrasting righteous walk of life, when sin is confronted and exposed, it's an evangelistic moment. Now, that doesn't happen for everybody, of course. It doesn't always happen. It doesn't strike many that way. I'm just talking in generalities here of the successful pattern. Preaching of a sort happens there in that exposing. And then what happens is that for some, they're struck by it and they are illumined. It's made visible. And think about this physically. When things are made visible, they're no longer darkness. Verse 14, in fact, when they're made visible, they are light. It's the process here of exposing, and some are made visible, are illumined, and what's happened then is that they've become light. Shared the gospel with them, they got saved, that is, they became a Christian. That's what happened to you, isn't it? Isn't that why we always sing this little praise hymn here? Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Come up from the realm of death and darkness and come into the place where Christ shines on you forever and ever. Evidently a little hymn that was sung commonly in the early church. He's brought that in here to to reinforce this little point that he's teaching them. Now I've added in some things there obviously. I've filled in some missing links. But this is what I think he's getting at. And if you want to talk more about that later, that's fine, we can. But it's about all I can do right now. There's a process here, a common process. People walk in darkness, light comes up next to them and exposes that. And that which is successfully exposed is illumined, made visible, which is to say that it itself becomes light now what happened to you. You came out of darkness and you moved into light. And Paul puts this here to enlist us to to point out the critical first step that exposing is and to enlist us in that process. He wants us to become active exposers ourselves. So how does that happen? How does it happen in normal life? I mean, should we, maybe we should rent billboards and make big statements take out newspaper ads maybe we should write letters to protest various things and undertake publicity campaigns of different types maybe we should just have protests and shout louder and longer than our opponents obviously I'm coloring these things in a certain way and I'm not much of an activist so none of those things naturally appeal to me I guess I have to say that done properly they're all legal done properly they're all legal so maybe there's a place for them here in, in our society. But what I do want to make clear is that they're not in this verse. This verse is calling us to exposing in a different way than that. The type of exposure in view here, and therefore the point of this sermon, is that the walk of light is what's needed. Walking in goodness and righteousness and truth, walking, living—that is a lengthy process. It's not that that walking excludes speaking. It certainly can, but you see the difference between this and this: the statement on the billboard, or the letter, or the protest. Let's assume those things are all right. They're still not a walk. They are declarations. Anybody can declare anything. God may use that. It's not what he's talking about here. He's calling us to walk as light in people's lives. Proximity to them is expected. Holiness and righteousness and love and unity is all expected in us and it's expected that we would be torches blazing right next to people, showing something off to them over days and weeks and months. We respond to confrontation with peace when others get angry. We're generous towards those in need where others are tight-fisted. We avoid all kinds of lewd conversation where others dive right in. And we do that repeatedly. But more than that, More than that, we show them the sifting sands their lives are built on by how we approach cancer in peace. How we approach unemployment with confidence. How we look at all of the other storms of life that commonly rock and even sink Others who don't have faith in Christ. How we approach them shaken, yes, but not sunk. Hard-pressed, yes, but not crushed. We approach life in that way and we show a difference. Now, not to everybody. I'm sure that some people looked at my friend with the tree in his house and only thought, huh, Bummer. But others probably thought, Wow, he's disturbed by that but he's dealing with it much differently than I did last year when it happened to me. Or than I did last week when I got a car wreck, and totaled my car. His house is totaled, and look how he's dealing with that. This happens through a walk, not in a moment. We must walk like this around people. Our lives of light may expose our friends' and neighbors' shortcomings. It may also, it is our hope, expose an attractive alternative. But more than that, it must also expose, you must be transparent enough to make clear the reason for the hope that you have. That there is a great light who has come into the world to give life, who is your highest treasure. That's why you don't care about your house, ultimately. Because you have a greater treasure who has given you a vast inheritance far more than anything you can own on this earth. And your life is fastened to that in that other world and that becomes obvious as you walk day in and day out next to people as a blazing torch. That's what he's calling you to here. Walk as light. You were once darkness. Now walk as light because it's suitable for you And because it may very well be redemptive in these people's lives. Walk as children of light. Let me
0: pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.